Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hey everybody, it's Dan. Welcome to the Wednesday edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. Before we get going, of course, I have to tell you about Football Insider. It's our exclusive uh, package of things that you can get if you sign up at cleveland.com slash browns. It starts with getting access to all those exclusive stories on cleveland.com slash browns. You get a daily newsletter with content that doesn't go to anyone else. I actually wrote uh, the newsletter for Tuesday. It was power rankings, AFC power rankings. So only our Football Insider subscribers got to see who I had ranked 1 through 16 and where I had the Browns ranked. Uh, and then, of course, we have our texting service where me, Mary Kay, Scott, Ellis will text you with news, analysis, all of that good stuff. You can be a part of our post-game shows via Zoom. You can come on the pod and make picks also via Zoom. And you text with us, we text directly back to you. We also do a pregame Q&A every week. So uh, a lot of cool things involved there. To check it out, go to cleveland.com slash browns. Click on the blue banner at the top of the page to get all your information and get signed up. Hey everybody, welcome to the Wednesday edition of the Orange and Brown Podcast. I'm Dan Lobby, joined by Mary Kay Cabot. Mary Kay, how are you? I'm doing really well, Dan. How you doing? Doing well. And Scott Patsko joining us. Scott, how are you? Doing good. How you doing? Doing well. Uh, all right. So I thought maybe we should talk a little Kevin Stefanski because coming up in the second half of the pod, uh, you'll hear Terry Pluto. And we talked a little bit of Kevin Stefanski there too. And it just got me thinking like, I don't know if we've really taken a step back and, and tried to figure out kind of what he's doing so well. I, I mean, we have probably in bits and pieces. But I mean, just sort of that, you know, why is this working? How does he have this football team at six and three? I mean, they were six and three in 2014. Scott and I were talking about this before we came on. They were six and three in 2014 and Mike Pettin was the coach. And it was still kind of like, okay, maybe. But (laughs) this feels pretty solid right now with what they have. Um, So when you guys kind of look at Kevin Stefanski, I mean, let's just kick this around a little bit. What has stood out to you? not just in these first nine games, but just going all the way back to to January when he first got introduced to when all the COVID stuff hit, what what has really stood out to you about him that that has made this work? Well, I would have to say that the number one thing that stands out to me about uh, the whole Kevin Stefanski program is uh, the organization, the attention to detail, the leadership, the control over the whole situation. I mean, could you imagine having to do COVID with Freddie in charge, like that would have been a total disaster. I'm sorry, <laughs> that would have been a disaster. Uh, but but Kevin Stefanski, he's a flatliner, just like when I talked to Brad Childress about him, uh, right after Kevin Stefanski was hired, he talked about how uh, he's just so even keel, nothing will rattle him. And it's funny because that was 
you know, like in February before COVID hit. So to, to you know, to know that you're going to have a coach that nothing is going to rattle him. And then all of a sudden the world changes right before our eyes. It's a pretty good quality to have. And I, I think that's probably the number one thing that I've seen out of him. Yeah, I would agree. The whole organizational thing, because when you hire a coach, it's usually kind of a the opposite of the coach you just had. And with Freddie Kitchens, there were all these fires that just kept popping up uh, during his tenure. And you don't have those. Uh, you haven't had those with 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 uh, Stefanski and uh, everything, like Mary Kay says, has been very organized. And, you know, I think you have to attach Andrew Barry to that as well. But, um, you know, if, if you were looking for for something to kind of just get everybody on the same page and and get this team kind of focused in one direction, Kevin Stefanski seems like it was the right call. Yeah, and I, I think, you know, even though we're, we're looking at that bigger picture, I just think the last couple of weeks have been sort of, I think they've shown a lot about who he is as a coach and his ability to, to navigate things. Um, I mean, this team had lost two out of three games and it didn't, I don't think it ever felt like they had lost two out of three games. I don't think I ever got a sense from anyone in our Zooms. I never got to catch a sense from Stefanski that they'd lost two out of three. And then you've got COVID, you've got to go into the intensive protocols because a staffer gets tested positive. Your quarterback has to go on the COVID list. Um, you know, you have that, that, just an awful game against the Raiders that leaves a bad taste in your mouth off the bye. And, and then they, they just navigate all of it. Their whole Friday gets torpedoed because they have to shut, shut down the facility for most of the day. And they come out against the Texans and I mean, play a, a pretty good football game in, in really bad conditions. I think the last couple of weeks have really sort of shown that this guy's just sort of built to guide his team through this. And I think it is sort of that, that flatlining, that, that ability to just be unflappable. I, I haven't seen him really get rattled at all this season. Well, you know, when, um, when Paul De Podesta and Andrew Barry uh, wanted him the year before, when John Dorsey ended up uh, hiring Freddie Kitchen, those guys wanted Kevin Stefanski for just these very reasons. They, they wanted him because he was a leader of men, because he could assemble and manage a coaching staff. They hired him for the qualities that they saw in him that would make him be a good CEO coach. Not even necessarily, you know, could he manage the, the clock necessarily, or could he, which they knew of course that he would be able to do that. But I mean, that wasn't number one on their list. Neither was play calling because if he had hired, you know, let's say he brought in Gary Kubiak or somebody that was an experienced play caller, he would have willingly handed that over to that person. So it wasn't that they saw in him all of the X's and O's. Uh, what they saw uh, was, was the leader of men, someone who could handle all the different personalities on a football team. It doesn't even matter what team you're, what you're, what team you're coaching. You're going to have a handful of guys that are going to be, you know, just with very strong personalities. Uh, and he's done an amazing job with, with all of that stuff. And then, as you guys said, uh, with all of the, you know, with the COVID stuff, with the social justice, with, with everything. I mean, he, he has not at any juncture in this crazy season disappointed us in terms of his leadership ability, right? There's never been one time where we've said, boy, did he screw that up, <laughs> right? And, and we have said that plenty of times over the years with other coaches. He's managing it. He's handling it. And I think some of the other things in, in are the fact that he has surrounded himself with some really good mentors and some advisors in Kevin Rogers, in Bill Callahan, uh, 
you know, there are just some, some coaches on this staff that have been in his shoes before and they all kind of put their heads together and it's, it's a pretty darn good coaching staff in terms of just managing everything that they have to deal with this season. It's been a really good marriage of, of the right coach with a team that, I mean, look, that the talent that, that he walked into, a lot of coaches would have enjoyed that. And Freddie Kitchens couldn't take advantage of that. Uh, but Kevin Stefanski obviously has, you know, he really got a good gig here <laughs> when you're, at least when you're talking about offensive side of the ball, he had just a lot of things to work with. I know he brought in some people, but, but still, I think it was a good situation and it's, everything's, we can't overlook the fact that a lot of things have broken his way too. Mm-hmm. Um, if the Browns don't have 14 takeaways, they're not six and three right now. And maybe we don't have as rosy of an outlook on this team. And maybe there's been some press conferences with tougher questions for Stefanski at this point, you know, they, if they don't play the Texans on a really windy day uh, in Cleveland, maybe they don't win that game. And, and it isn't, a situation that we're having right now. So I do think as you look back over these games, some things have broken his way, but at the same time, he's really done a good job of putting the team in position to, to take advantage of those things. And I, I think that's an important thing to point out, especially, you know, kind of in light of the name I mentioned earlier, Mike Pettin, right? I mean, he was the most popular guy in Cleveland for however many months until that thing fell apart. Um, and so, yeah, winning certainly is going to help you get through this and, and help you look better. And people are going to really love what, what they're seeing. Um, I, I think one of the things, too, is just everything seems so common sense with what he does. Very rarely do I do I see something and scratch my head and wonder, like, why is he doing that? And, and when it is something, it's like, why is he using those timeouts at the end of the first half against the Texans? I don't, I don't really know, but OK, whatever. It's not that big of a deal either. So in like the fake punt in week one, did that make the you fake, scratch your Yeah, right. The fake punt was certainly a head scratching moment, right? <laughs> but th- that's, I mean, there haven't been very many of those. And I, I think so much has just been common sense. Like I said, you know, Freddie Kitchens last year wouldn't even give the ball to Nick Chubb sometimes. You know, we all remember that first Cincinnati game when he just wasn't giving the football to Nick Chubb. And, and I don't know why it wasn't happening. I, I don't know why there was a refusal there to just lean on that running game, but Kevin Stefanski has looked at this offense and said, I got two pretty good running backs. You know, we're still trying to figure things out about my quarterback. I'm going to just lean on these guys. And it certainly has worked again, in part because of who they played and some of the run defenses they played, but, but it has certainly worked so far. Yeah. You guys are making some excellent points here. Dan talking about how uh, he is using common sense and going with, uh, you know, what is really going to work in terms of those two running backs. I mean, it just obviously makes so much sense. Uh, And then Scott, I think that as Dan mentioned, you made two really excellent points about the fact that number one, he walked into a really good situation with a lot of talent. Most New head coaches do not walk into a team where you have seven pro bowlers on offense, okay, in your starting lineup, seven. If you have an offensive line like that, running backs like that, tight ends and receivers like that, that, that is a pretty w- good way to start your career with, with that offense. But the other thing is a lot of things have broken their way. Uh, they, you know, so they are getting lucky, but that's fine. You need luck to get through a season. I mean, that's, that's football, right? That's football. I mean, think about in order to, to win in Cincinnati, like Baker Mayfield had to be 
perfect on that day. Not only did he have to be perfect uh, in, in that fourth quarter, I mean, my goodness, he, he took he took the ball with 106 left and no timeouts left and won the football game. I mean, everything had to go just right. Rashard Higgins had to make a couple of spectacular catches on that drive. Donovan Peoples-Jones, a rookie, had to make a great play on the game-winning touchdown. 21 straight complete. So, I mean, in order, they could have easily lost that game. And then you fast forward again to the, uh, to the Texans game and things could have been a lot different when they close it to 10 and seven. Right. I mean, how lucky are they uh, that things worked out the way that they did there in the end, part lucky, part good running, of course, but just with the way that, you know, the Texans kind of misused their timeouts a little bit there at the end and they just didn't have a chance to get the ball back. I mean, if you're backed up into your own territory like that, there's a darn good chance if they get the ball, they're at least going to kick a field goal and tie that football game. So, you know, some things have broken their way. So it's been part common sense, part talent, and a little bit of luck along the way. I mean, they've, they've still only beaten one winning team. So, you know, some of this has to do also with, you know, they're, they're not playing a very good uh, lineup this year. I think being prepared should go on the list of, of, of things Stefanski did well too, because coming in to the situation, he, he came in with an offense that, you know, he wasn't creating it on the fly like Freddie Kitchens had to do. Uh, he brought in, he knew what he was going to do. And then they built a team to make that work. And there have been times this season where maybe the run game wasn't working so well, uh, like first half against the Colts or, you know, obviously this, this week for, for much of the game uh, against the Texans. And he really stuck with that. And he's done that throughout the season of really sticking with what he does well, making sure that he doesn't get away from that. He didn't fall into the trap against the Texans of, all right, we couldn't run the ball against anybody in the first half. The second half, let's just start having Baker show throw some short passes and try to get down the field that way. Cause that's kind of what the Texans did, but the Browns never, gave into that. And then by the fourth quarter, they were, they were popping those big runs and kind of putting the game away. So he knew, you know, from the start, what, what he wanted this offense to be. And, and he's really, he's really stuck with it. I mean, how long did we go last season trying to figure out what Freddie Kitchen's offense was supposed to be? I don't think we, we, we know even now uh, it was just this Frankenstein of Todd Munkin down the field versus whatever wacky stuff Freddie Kitchens might come up with and throw in on a given day. And, there was really never an identity there. And I think that was so important from week one, you knew even before, even before they ever had a practice, you knew what this team was going to be because of what Stefanski did in Minnesota. And you assumed he was bringing that here. So that's just being prepared and, you know, making it work is, is needs to go on the list of things he's done. Well, there's a, there's a bigger thing I want to bring up, but I, I just want to point to something here. Um, so I, I look at that Houston game uh, and Houston has the football in the third quarter and they drive all the way down to the Browns 27 yard line on third and 12 Deshaun Watson hits Brandon cooks for 10 yards. So it's fourth and two at the Browns 27. We know the conditions. And I don't know if you guys remember this sequence. So the Texans put their offense on the field and they're out there. The play clock is running down. They end up using a timeout. They come out of the timeout and they decide to kick a field goal and they end up missing the field goal instead of going for it on fourth and two and Deshaun Watson. I mean, you could, you could just tell he was looking at the sideline. He was on camera. You could see him looking at the sideline. Like, what are we doing? 
when they bring the field goal unit on, he's the last offensive guy to walk off the field. And it, it was just this idea. I mean, this is Romeo Cronell, who's been in the league forever, who's been a head coach, who should manage that situation better, who should know that situation better and say, you know, we're going for it on fourth and two, partially yeah. because we're two and six, so who cares? But also, like, the wind is awful. We're not going to kick a field goal. Yep. He kicks the field goal, and the Browns get the football back, and they kind of started to take a little control from there. And I, I feel like if Kevin Stefanski's in that situation, because we've seen it before, when they are aggressive, when they do go for it, there isn't this long pause usually. You know, they're, they're out there. They know what they're going to do in, in every situation, it seems. And there's going to be mistakes, and somebody might be able to go back and find a moment in a game where that wasn't the case. But, I mean, I'm going to guess nine times out of ten, you know, they're ahead of things. They're three or four plays ahead of things with what they want to do situationally. Yeah, that was a um, that was just a, a, a bad mistake on their part, especially considering uh, the Browns on fourth down conversions. Like anybody can convert a fourth down conversion. I mean, a fourth down against the Browns. Right. So for Romeo to make that decision there, like you said, they're a two and six football team. Why are you not going for it there? Why are you not being aggressive? Your chances of a 46 yard field goal versus making a fourth and two. I mean, it was just almost a no brainer. Uh, so you're right. There haven't been many of those kinds of things uh, from Kevin Stefanski. And I'm sure that there's a lot, a lot of analytics that are going along with that. And I'm sure he's embracing all of that. Um, there have been a few, uh, including the, the Hail Mary pass, remember? Right. They okay. misplayed that. Right, so that was one, and he owned it, right? I mean, he just like, and of course, it's easier to own it than <laughs> when it works out in your favor and you win the football game, but that was one. But when he does do something like that, uh, he does take ownership of it, and I think that's appreciated by, uh, you know, by the coaching staff, by the players, uh, you know, even with Baker Mayfield. I mean, he, and this is a whole nother part of it. He's, he's handled the whole Baker Mayfield thing really, really incredibly well. Right. Yeah. We've heard him in press conferences talk about how he needed to do this better or that better, put Baker in a better position. Uh, he's been kind of out front of those things and he doesn't throw blame around very much. Not that, not that previous coaches necessarily did that, but he always makes a point, I think of, of talking about, maybe his shortcomings and what he could have done and kind of recognizing that things didn't go well there instead of just saying, well, we didn't execute, you know, um, he'll take the blame of that. By the way, you should always go for it on fourth and two period. <laughs> it, that, that looked like when, when you were describing, Especially um, in plus that, I mean, the Texans looked like a team that have no need or understanding of, of analytics at all. I mean, the Browns was so bad. teams were 13 of 14 against them on fourth down. And the Texans became just the second team to fail at that when they, they couldn't get, I think it was fourth and goal uh, at one point in the game. Yeah. So it was just, just odd that they wouldn't go for that. Not even without the win. Like if it had been a perfect day, just go for it. It's fourth and two. Mm -hmm. It's four, it's fourth and two. And I've, I've got a secret for everybody. The defense wasn't that good on Sunday. <laughs> you, right. you would have converted that fourth and two, I think uh, with the Sean Watson at quarterback, but we're not talking about the Texans. Right. Um, <laughs> Okay, so there was a bigger point I wanted to bring up, but let's let's veer off just real quickly to the Baker Mayfield part of it because Mary Kay, you mentioned it. He's handled Baker very well. Um, I'm actually a little disappointed that we haven't gotten to see if Baker could have seized some of that momentum from Cincinnati uh, because of the conditions he's had to play, and we just haven't gotten to see if that would have, you know, really 
had him shooting uphill here. Um, but, you know, he's never really wavered on him. And I think that's important because, look, I'm sure that they're watching things and they have, they have some of the same data we have and they have tons more data than we'll ever have that, that's kind of telling them, okay, we're still not 100% sure on this guy, but they're also seeing things that are positive. And I think he's handled all of that pretty well. Like you said, I, I don't think he's ever wavered on Baker Mayfield to this point. Yeah, I think he's handled the situation in, incredibly well. Even when he has been asked recently, as, as was Andrew Barry about, you know, the whole future, he's keeping it just in the present and, you know, not making big proclamations about, yes, he's the quarterback of the future. Uh, they're just kind of keeping it to the next game. So that part's been good. Uh, he did say coming out of the bye week that I think he's ready to ascend. And I thought that struck the right note. Uh, it wasn't like he was saying, uh, you know, he's, he's shown us that 100% he's our guy, but he's also kind of giving him a verbal and public vote of confidence, which Baker could probably use, you know, I mean, that probably uh, was the right time to do something like that. Uh, he's also schematically done everything possible to try to help Baker to look good. And I think that we're going to see more of that as we go along here in the second half of the season with, uh, you know, again, with a little bit more shotgun, with a little bit more play action, we saw some pistol, uh, they're going to run the ball a lot, they're going to get him to a certain extent uh, out to the left or the right on bootlegs and rollouts so that he can see the field better sometimes. Uh, so I think that they, they have done a nice job of realizing what they have in Baker Mayfield and what they don't have. And some of the things that I think they thought he was 100% capable of, which included standing in the pocket, playing under center and those kind of things. I think they realized, you know what, we've got to mess around with this a little bit and put him in situations where he feels confident and he feels good about himself, even if it isn't exactly how we want to run our scheme. Well, getting Nick Chubb and Wyatt Teller back uh, this week was certainly a, a way to help him ascend. You know, he, yeah. he played well during the four game winning streak. He, you know, he, maybe he wasn't getting the best PFF grades or something like that, but he was completing passes that he had to, and he wasn't being asked to throw a lot. I think it's worth noting, and I'm sure the Browns realized this, that his two best performances came when Nick Chubb wasn't out, and they were in games where he was pretty much the reason why they won. That first half against the Colts, you know, if he – if he doesn't play so well, they don't, they don't win that game. And then obviously the Bengals game where he just went off after starting 0-5, they needed him to do that. And now you're back to a situation where they're hoping they can have this for the rest of the year that you don't have to ask him to do that. You know, you have your, your full complement, at least that you're going to have on offense and you can really try to pound this running game and take the weight off Baker's shoulders and just, make it more quality over quantity, that kind of thing. Um, so I think one, and one of the things I wanted to point out too, as far as putting him in better situations, there was a play, you know, we saw a lot of boot, booting out to the left or to the right. And then after a while, I think the Colts game, we saw it where people started keeping their defensive end out there so that he couldn't complete that bootleg. He kind of had to cut it short. And the Texans did that, but it was kind of clear there was at least one play where Baker Everybody, you know, he faked, everybody went left and he kind of wanted to boot to the right, but he pulled it up himself. And it was clear that was by design, even though JJ Watt is out there, all the 
all the routes over here on the left. So it was clear he was not going to keep booting it all that way. Anyways, he was always going to throw to the left. He was always just going to stop his boot at the top. And I think that's maybe one of the little wrinkles they've kind of added in to kind of make it so, all right, Baker Mayfield doesn't have to figure out, do I keep booting and try to avoid this defensive end over here and possibly get killed or, you know, or do I have to scramble? They're, they're kind of noticing how teams are playing them. And I think that is also going to help Baker. It's, you know, it's an offensive staff that knows how to put him in the right position. Yeah. And, and you know, on, on, I think Sunday's game was a good example of, of this for the reason you mentioned, but also like Baker, we need you to make one throw. It's third and 18. We need you to make one throw. I, that was the biggest throw of the game. He made it. And the Browns um, ended up scoring on that drive to go up 10, nothing, which was pretty much insurmountable. Uh, so they're putting him in those positions as well. So if it's not like a Cincinnati game where he completes 21 in a row, it's look, this game's tough, but can, can we put you in a position to make that one throw for us? And, and he was able to do that on Sunday. So the, the bigger point I wanted to bring up before we, we send this thing over to Terry is it just feels to me. And I think Andrew Barry comes in on this part of the discussion as well. It feels to me like just the waters and this is, Winning helps this, but the waters are very calm in Berea right now. And even though I just said winning helps this, to be honest, I think we all kind of know that at times this team, this organization hasn't always handled success gracefully. <laughs> I think they, uh, they certainly were, were feeding off that five and three finish in 2018 and kind of puffing out their chests. And you know, there was a lot of that going on. And it seems to me like for the most part, with a few hiccups here and there, that maybe we don't need to get into, but for the most part, everything has been pretty quiet and, and pretty calm. And when you look at certain organizations, you know, this team is never going to be the Patriots, where there's just that clear separation of church and state. And here's the football over here, and all that other stuff is over there, and just leave us alone and let us do football. There's never going to be that clear separation in the Browns organization. But... It just seems like even though they're sitting here six and three, even though they could listen, they could make a huge deal out of this. And, you know, obviously there aren't tickets to sell, but it just feels like they're very measured and very calm right now. And I think that speaks to Kevin Stefanski and Andrew Barry. You know, I, I would agree with you on that, but th there's another component to that this season. Uh, first of all, they have done a great job of, of, of helping their players tone it down. I mean, we know that right from the start, I can almost guarantee that when, when Kevin Stefanski had his first conversations with Baker, it was about, let's tone it down. Let's not have all the rhetoric. Let's do it and not say it. Um, so that's one part of it. Uh, that, that's been a very strong and clear message. The other part of it is they can control the message this year. Right. Okay? I can't walk up to a player in the locker room on a Wednesday uh, that might be disgruntled about something and ask him about it. I have no opportunity to do that this year. They give us who they want to give us after the game and during the week. Okay. So they, they can be a little bit more quiet. I mean, there were a couple guys that I wanted to talk to leading up to the Steelers game when Miles Garrett was going into Pittsburgh and I didn't get, to talk to those players because they wanted, they were able to control the message that week. I couldn't walk up to those guys in the locker room and say, Hey, let's reflect about, you know, how this has gone in the past year and how miles has come out of it. I couldn't do it. And I, you know, there, there were times I'm sure that 
Uh, people would have walked up to Odell Beckham Jr. when things were not going well for the receivers and they just, they were not getting their opportunities and it was all about the running game that, you know, he, he may have had some different things to say about that, but we don't get those chances. So uh, half of 50% of it is Kevin Stefanski and Andrew Barry doing a great job organizationally of, of toning down the rhetoric. The other half of it is COVID-19 giving a big assist. <laughs> I, I can't I can't argue with that. That's certainly that's true. There, there have certainly been post games where it's been like, God, I wish they would give us this guy and it, just, it doesn't happen. Go ahead, Scott. I, was gonna say, I think a lot of it also has to do with being humbled. You know, I mean, Baker was here for the end of that 2018 season and, you know, you went into that off season and it was just there was a lot of expectations and a lot of talking and a lot of proclaiming and and a lot of the players who were here last year and saw everything kind of just collapse under all those expectations are back again this year. And they all know that this can all get washed away really quick. And they're a team that is still seen as an underachieving group. You know, that's, that's what the Browns were last year. And even at six and three, there are people who look at, you know, the Browns and who they beat, who are good, you know, who's good. And, so I think just the humbling of, of kind of going through the last few years is maybe uh, this maybe led to, you know, what we're getting uh, quote wise and just, you know, culture wise from the outside. Right. But, but doesn't it at least feel like this team has taken on a little bit of Kevin Stefanski's personality, at least as far as we can see, because you're, you are right, Mary Kay. We're not in that locker room for 45 minutes every day. Um, but, you know, I also think that, I really do feel like the message went out, you know, that whole, you know, I hate, I hate to jump onto team slogans, but that whole, what is it all, all bite and no bark, you know, that's, that's kind of just a fan friendly way of putting it, but I'm sure there was a much deeper discussion about like, guys, this is how we're going to do it now. And, and that this is, this is our culture. This is how we do things. And when you hear Kevin Stefanski talk and Andrew Barry talk, it sends that message. And then, I think we, we get a little bit of that from the players too, honestly. Yeah, 100%. Yes. I mean, that is a lot of it. I really do believe that even if we were in the locker room and you had guys uh, that were saying, you know, look, we've got all these, you know, double digit million pass catchers and we're not getting the football. I mean, even if they had that kind of stuff going on, I think that Kevin Stefanski and his coaches would have done a tremendous job of handling that. I think they would have talked to players about that if they, if they were being not team protecting or team building. Uh, and Freddie never did that. Do you guys, I mean, remember I used to like, and all of us would so. ask him like, Hey, are you going to say something to, to somebody about what he said about this? And he, he's like, no, I'm not, you know, you just say anything to Baker <laughs> about, you know, whatever, getting into it with Colin Coward, or I can't even remember half the stuff. Uh, but he would always be like, no. Mm -mm. And then, <laughs> and also remember, uh, he did not have a leadership council. He did not think that was important. Well, it is important. It is important, especially in these times. Uh, so I think that the, the way that they have structured it and set it up is lending itself to uh, the right kind of culture. And also for the most part, they're adding players onto the team that are, as they say, smart, accountable, and those sorts of things. But I still think the the you know, all bark or all bite, no bark. I think that motto works because of 2019 because of the fact that Freddie Kitchens was the coach last year. 
And a lot of these players went through that. And so it's easy to say, all right, I, I think, yeah, that makes sense because last year didn't work. So let's, tr let's try this. <laughs> I think, I think going through that is, is kind of the reason why, you know, that, that message resonates. Yeah. I, I think, I think, look, the real test, let's be honest, is going to come if this team goes 10 and six and makes the playoffs and, you know, whatever happens. And if they lose by 30 to the chiefs or whatever, beat the Titan, beat the Colts or whatever in the flower, that all shakes out. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the, the real test is going to be how you follow that up and, and how you approach that season. And can Kevin Stefanski kind of make sure guys understand because Freddie said it, but I don't know if he ever believed it, right? Freddie sat up there and said, well, we haven't done anything when he was introduced and Kevin Stefanski kind of needs to be able to deliver that message, but also like live that message, right? Like we haven't done anything. If you just make the playoffs and lose a playoff game. Yeah, it's great. Something the Browns haven't done in forever. We haven't done anything. Now we need to keep progressing. So there's still a lot of tests to come for uh, Kevin Stefanski. And to bring it full circle, just like we learned with Mike Pettin, who uh, <laughs> seemed like he was on track to be the Browns coach for about 10 years, and then it all fell apart the next season. So a long ways to go in Kevin Stefanski's career. But I think we can at least all agree that it's off to a pretty good start, not just record-wise, but what we've seen from him as well. You know, you know what? I I 100% have to agree with that. I've seen a lot of coaches come through these parts. I've covered many, many, many head coaches of the Cleveland Browns. And I see in Kevin Stefanski those things that Andrew Barry and Paul DePodesta saw in him that, uh, that make him a good head football coach. And I, I think it will bear out over time that he is that. I have a good feeling about it. And I cannot say that about a lot of the guys that have come through here. I, I see him being successful. The signs are all there this year. And I, I feel like the Browns are in good hands. And he doesn't have anybody sitting on the bench ready to blow up the whole thing like Mike Pettin had. So I think, you know, that's in Stefanski's favor as well. That's fair too. But if we're sitting in a training camp press conference and somebody says that they're all singing from the same hymnal, I'm out. <laughs> all right. Alignment, Dan. <laughs> right. See, that's much more. I'll take that. But I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear anybody <laughs> saying we're singing from the same hymnal here or an owner saying, I promise we're not going to blow it up. All right. Uh, that'll do it for uh, the first half here of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. Terry Pluto is coming up in the second half. Scott and Mary Kay, thanks for joining us. Now we welcome on Terry Pluto. Terry, how are you? I'm well, Dan. Okay. Well, that was a uh, that was a thriller on Sunday. <laughs> I it was an interesting game. You said games. it was going to be boring before the game, and I chastised you on that because I said it would be interesting, and it was because the weather and all that makes it that way. Yeah, it was. It was a slog, and it was. It seemed like it was worse than the Raiders game. Honestly, for as bad as the Raiders game was, it just seemed like these two teams were really struggling mm -hmm. even more so than than they did when we watched the Browns and the Raiders. I mean, in a bigger picture, you know, as I wrote after the game, ugly win, basically, who cares? Chubb is back and they're six and three. And when you look at the bigger picture, Chubb is back and they're six and three. And Chubb is back and the running game looked like the running game before, maybe even a little better. I mean, Houston's bad against the run. Nonetheless, um, Houston's threw everybody on the line of scrimmage trying to stop that run, and they did for a while. Mm -hmm. But – the Cavs, I mean the Cavs, excuse me, the Browns kept banging away and you saw that it worked at the end. Yeah, and, and you, I think you saw the impact that it had on um, 
Kareem Hunt too to kind of be yeah. back as that second guy. And and I mm-hmm. think the bye week helped him as well. So he's, right, he's now everything healthy. just he's felt not, right again. Yeah, and the tellers and they're blocking. And you know, the, the offensive linemen always say if you're going to run the ball, run the ball. In other words, give us a chance to get some momentum going with that blocking um, and just give us some confidence. And the fact is the way Kareem and Chubb interact with each other and also the way they talk about each other, you can't fake that. I mean, that's real. Their relationship is real. That's not just guys throwing out some compliments. This is, this is a big deal. Because on a lot of teams, this could have went really bad. You bring in uh, a rushing, a rushing title guy like Kareem, two with Chubb, and Chubb just had a big year. You could see how that could go sideways, and it hasn't. And from the moment he arrived, really, Chubb embraced Kareem and has been, I think, a real help to keeping Kareem, frankly, in line. You know, that's important. So – you know, the, I wrote a, my notes the other day that, you know, we, we, we all kind of rolled our eyes, tough, smart, accountable players. Uh, but that's what these guys have become. I, I think the thing that speaks to that most, I mean, everybody, of course, talks about the 59-yard run where Chubb goes out of bounds yeah. to one. But I think the thing that speaks to how Chubb handles this most is, you know, before that run, it, I mean, it was Kareem Hunt that was out there running out the clock. Yes. You go back to Cincinnati in week two. It was Kareem Hunt in the fourth quarter. And there's a lot of backs, I think, that would maybe look at that and say, hey, fourth quarter, running out the clock, this is where I get my yards. Mm-hmm. This is where I get my rushing title. I'm not going to let somebody else do that. And we've kind of seen the Browns take that approach where Chubb kind of hits early, and then they hand it to, and then they let Kareem Hunt kind of be the closer and take yeah, it home. And then, they, and then they, maybe, you know, maybe he's the, he's the seventh and eighth inning guy, and then here comes Chubb for the ninth. Sometimes yeah. it's that, too. Um, I think – I do believe Chubb might be smart enough to know too, that in part of him knows that, Hey, 25 carries would be great. But after this other little knee injury here, um, you keep him under 20 and that, that probably is better for long-term for him. And actually Kareem Hunt, who's not going to get smashed all the time because he is so, um, you know, fearless in how he runs. You can see he's almost asking to get a broken rib sometimes. He just keeps <laughs> running an attack, dragging people, everything right. else. People are like hitting him with fists. I mean, just pounding on him. Um, this way, you know, talk about keeping him fresh. How about just playing out, keeping him healthy? Yeah. Well, I, I always say Kareem Hunt, it seems like as soon as Kareem Hunt touches the ball, there's just five get, five guys hanging off of him. Mm-hmm. And he's still going to get 10 yards. Yeah. They're just, they're very different runners, even though they're kind of built similarly. And, mm-hmm. and I think there are some simulators that they, they are different runners. I mean, the nice thing too, is there's a real identity for the team. It's been here from day one, from when Stefanski got here, the type of offense he was going to run and he stuck to it now. And then he's had games where maybe he should have run the ball more, but overall, you know what the Browns are about. How many years It's not just because they were bad. We couldn't even tell you what they were trying to do on offense uh, we could say, oh, well, they got Obell and Jarvis, so they're gonna, and they got Baker, going to throw the ball over the place. But there wasn't really, uh, you know, any any real pattern or flock given to it. <laughs> you remember, it was like backyard football or whatnot. Where, right. And also, the, frankly, that wasn't built for Cleveland. I do think it's important to have that good running game and strong line. You would go back to, I mean, the best season they've had, well, I guess the 7-8 and 1, you know, or the 7-9, and nine, but I want to say, go back to the seven and nine season. 
2014, where they were seven and four at one point before Josh Gordon came back and Manziel and that whole thing unraveled. But that was a team similar to this in terms of philosophy as a Kyle Shanahan run it team without these really good running backs. And you know what they were good at that year was beating the teams they should beat. Mm-hmm. That's so important, Dan, because it's how teams start to get to be good. You know, you, you beat, you know, you beat the Bengals twice. I mean, I, I, I mean, I, I, I got an email from a guy who said, I wonder if it was the same guy who, who actually wanted to trade, wanted to the Browns to tank. And, and uh, <laughs> after, after they lost to Oakland, after they lost to the Raiders, excuse me. And so they could get a quarterback. It's like too late guys uh, for that. But in terms of, it's like, well, this is like 10 and six. They just beat a bunch of chumps. 10 and six, excuse me. I mean, if they go 10 and six again, I mean, really, they go 10 and six, Stefanski should be coach of the year. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, look, I, I was just curious. And, and I know the Ravens are, you know, they've taken some hits here. But the mighty Ravens, who have they beaten this year? They've beaten the yeah. Browns, the Texans, Washington, the Bengals, the mm-hmm. Eagles. Uh, you know, they, they beat the Colts like the Browns did. So, I mean, that, that's what the NFL well, they, is. They lost to the Patriots. They lost to the Steelers. And what was their other loss? The Chiefs. The Chiefs. Well, okay. So, like, I, I mean, the AFC North, they're all playing the same schedule with a couple yeah. exceptions. And so you got to beat these teams. you got to beat the Texans because the Ravens beat the Texans. I don't know if the – I guess the Steelers did play the Texans too, so they've beaten them. You have to beat these teams. And, and that's and, something and the also, Browns haven't done in the past. Right, because, you know, it takes, takes some maturity to win some of those games. Just maturity. In other words, this is a week you don't take anything for granted. we got to make sure we beat these guys. You know what I'd like to, Dan, is just the, the end of the drama, the end of all the stupid stuff the fans have had to endure, and, and the media to a lesser extent, of, you know, who, what faction is going on here, you know, we, we've been all been through those things. Right. Instead, we're talking about, should he run the ball more? You know, is Baker any good? We're back to like football stuff. You know, how about look at how Garrett is growing? Boy, Olivier Verdon, that doesn't look real good. In other words, regular things. Right. And I think that's such a relief, at least to me. I don't know how you feel. Maybe you want more drama. You miss drama? <laughs> I, I don't. Not at all. Because yeah. drama leads to massive changes again, right? But I, the other part of it too is it, it's, this isn't to say that Kevin Stefanski has been perfect, but first of all, no coach is secondly, I, I haven't looked out there and thought like this team is getting out coached. This team is getting outsmarted. They're mm-hmm. not doing, you know, the timeouts at the end of the first half are weird. And I thought, you know, maybe the first half game plan wasn't great this week, but they made adjustments in the second half. And I haven't looked at this team and thought they aren't prepared they're getting out, you know, the other team is playing smarter than them. They're, you know, they're making huge mistakes. I mean, they're how not about doing basic, those things. Basic stuff, Dan, like you get to the line of scrimmage and you snap the ball in plenty of time. Right. I, you know, it's basic, but you didn't see that. You didn't see timeouts. You don't see a lot of timeouts wasted this year where Baker's there and he looks like four guys are lined up in the wrong spot. He doesn't know what to do and calls a timeout. And remember, and I was concerned about this too. I, I can't remember where you stood on this about him calling plays. You know, how's that going to work? It works fine. Yeah. Well, and, and part of that is the ability to delegate, right? Yes. <laughs> to, to be able to trust your coaching staff. 
there's there's actually a great contrast here, kind of what you just spoke to. Um, so the Texans, if you remember, in the third quarter, they had a really long drive. Yeah. And they got down to the Browns 27, and they had a fourth and two. Um, and they called a timeout before the fourth and two. They were going to go for it. And they called a timeout, and out of the timeout, they kick a field goal, and they miss yeah. it. And, and that's the sort of thing that you'd into expect the, the Browns to do. By the way. What's that? That was into the wind, too, that field goal. Yeah, and, and those are the sorts of things the Browns would have done in years past. And we've yes. been talking about that on Monday. Because they don't know what they want to do. And, frankly, it was some of the stuff that I remember when Romeo was coach here, that mm-hmm. would happen at times. Uh, there was some indecisiveness in that, uh, where it does seem like whether they have all this laid out analytically or just they planned it, they, even if it doesn't work, it seems like they know in a certain situation whether they're going to go for it or not, they're going to kick the field goal or not. And by the way, Cody Parkey, we should give him some love. Yeah. He drilled that field goal into the wind. And you go back and think, had he missed that kick, it's a little different game. Oh, for sure. And just like it it allowed the Browns to keep playing from ahead. Well, and that's why the Miles Garrett play on fourth and fourth and goal is so important. You know, you you get that stop. And Sheldon Richardson deserves some credit on that play too. You get you get that stop, Mm -hmm. and now it's not seven three. You're still up three nothing. And again, that was another long Texans drive that they were unable to finish. Yeah, and, and that, that, that was actually the difference between this game and that and the uh, Raiders game is that uh, the Browns were able to, on some of these long drives, at least well, not let them score. Uh, and I, I think we need to look at Miles Garrett and see, like, the big jump. He started to make it last year before he was suspended, but really the big jump this year. And part of it, Dan, is simply maturity mm-hmm. and, and knowing, you know, how he's reading – the offenses uh, better that he's facing and that. And I then flip it over to Baker Mayfield and say, all right, I'm expecting a better second half when they actually play games where you can throw the ball. <laughs> um, and then the first half, kind of like how Miles was accelerating upward last year before he was suspended. And then the following year is when you kind of really see who the guy is. It's his fourth year in the league. And for Baker, hopefully it'd actually be two consecutive years with the same coaching staff, which should make a difference. And we all want these young guys just to make these jumps. And I understand some are able to do so, but oftentimes those who are able to do so already are in pretty good situations to begin with. They're not where there's all the instability in the coaching staff and front office and in all this other stuff. I mean, what Miles has played for, how many defensive coordinators does he play for? See, he came in under Greg, right? Okay. Yeah. Um, Who was it last year? It was Steve Wilkes. Steve Wilkes. This is his third coordinator, third, right? Third coordinator in four years. Yeah. I mean, whack, like, that's not a big deal because it's Cleveland. He used to one a year. But it's three <laughs> in four years, and they're all different. And then you turn around, and, you know, Baker's had a ton of offensive coordinators. Um and that's why this year, I, I think the players also are thriving because on any job, you like stability and feeling that your bosses are organized. And they give that impression almost from, they gave it from day one and it's continued. You know, we talked about, you know, during the off season, boy, you know, how Stefanski seems to be handling this stuff well or whatever, but both of us would be cautious, like, Look, we haven't even seen him in a preseason game. We don't know what this is going to yeah. look like. Then, you know, they got hammered at Baltimore. 
that probably, you know, I never bet pro sports for, for the same reason, by the way, you just <laughs> saw at the end of the, the game with Nick Chubb going out of bounds. Remember the other game where the one kick Parky's missed all year, he banged right. it off. The, the Bengals, <laughs> the Bengals game. Yep. The Bengals game. I mean, these people got to be insane. You know, there's <laughs> not enough mental stuff going on right now. You got to add, you know, whether or not the guy's going to score a touchdown or go out of bounds at the end of a game. So you win your bet. I mean, it's fine if it's a small bet, but you know, are these folks that are hardcore, but to get back to where I was going is that um, they just, there's a sense they know what they're doing and that they do learn. I mean, you look at how Stefanski called even from the uh, game from game one against Baltimore to game two against the Bengals, you know, grants the Bengals, but still, and then you also look at how he adapted after the uh, loss to the Raiders and then to, to this game in bad weather. So I'm, I'm just really, as you said, there are things you can second guess, but they're not big deals. You know, we're picking some nits here. Well, and I think too, you know, you point to the loss to the Ravens and then there was that big loss to the Steelers and it helped that you got to play the Bengals after those games, but yeah. the, the team turned around and won the next game. Yes. You know, and and, and coming Bengals, into this game, they now are good enough. Don't you think, Dan, they're good enough? Like if you don't show up really, you'll lose to yeah. them. Well, they, they were trending the right way until the Steelers beat them on Sunday. And that's yeah. whatever. We'll I don't know see how they come back. About that. The Steelers just take people apart for the most part. I yeah. Mean, especially just, a rookie quarterback. And, yeah. <laughs> it's just, it's, it's, we've, we've seen it. And yeah. And ever since the eighth minute, ever since Ben came back, I mean, they're just back to being the dominant Steelers again. Yeah. And you go back and look at it. They were eight and eight last year with uh, Mason Rudolph and the duck. I mean, so. I mean, well, uh, there you go. I mean, there's a, there's a team that has been stable. That's yeah. well coached that knows who they are. I, I mean, I, I always shake my head when people are critical of Mike Tom and I, again, he's not the perfect coach, but look what he's done. Yeah. yeah you'd hate to look at what he's managed thing. behind the scenes. And maybe we didn't even know about it at the time. Like when you have that, it's right, really and they've been able to, when guys got off the rails to get rid of them and keep winning, you know, Le'Veon Bell or, or Brown. Uh, and there's probably some others that I'm forgetting. Um, and they just roll and they've, they've actually given up high priced players for cap reasons too, and replaced them with the, with the draft. I mean, they got it going the right way and, you know, haven't helped the guy that replaces Tom and the same thing in Baltimore with Harbaugh. You know, right now he's catching a little bit of heat because they're going through some stuff. I, what I hate to say is, you know, I got a feeling Harbaugh's going to, they're going to sit down and they'll fix that problems they're having with Lamar right now. They may right. not be MVP again, but they're not going to let this guy just fall off the face of the earth. They'll, they'll fix what they have to do. And that's what we want the Browns to be, that a team that, as you mentioned, twice after big losses, um, they came back and won. I don't care if they beat the Bengals or not. Do you think – Freddie Kitchens' team is not going to be, I mean, you know, hyper and just everything was back then. Yeah. Well, it never felt, it actually kind of hit me get, going into the Texans game. The Browns had lost two out of three, mm -hmm. but it didn't feel like it. You didn't mm -hmm. sense that this was a team that had lost two out of three and they were, you know, on the precipice here if they lose this game. I mean, obviously had they lost this game, it would have been bad, but it didn't feel like it. And part of that is we're, we're very detached from the team right now. We're not around, around them, you but know. still, even based on what we could figure out. And then they had all the COVID stuff and they had to deal with all the I protocols. Mean, the thing, when we go back at this, cause they, uh, they lost the first game. Did they went four in a row after that? Yeah. Yeah. They got to four and one before Pittsburgh. That is a huge blessing when you have a new coaching staff 
you know, with some new systems uh, in a COVID year. So it did give those guys some uh, credibility with the players. And I think also, I mean, you, you listen to how they talk about Bill Callahan, you know, the players and, and that's mm-hmm. like, wow, this is a guy like a second head coach and stump Mitchell. They did, they were wise enough to keep him. He went, I remember he was here, I believe with Mangini the first time around. Um, I can't remember, you know, I have to look and see, maybe you could check that as we're talking, but I, I think he was, and, you know, it's just one of those guys that they've been able to attract with this regime. Some, some, of some, uh, uh, you know, coaches that have been around that could work elsewhere too. I may add, sometimes they would get guys who'd been around, but they were, had been fired three or four times from other places. So Stump um, was with, uh, Stump was with Washington in 08, 09. Okay. And then he was the head coach at Southern university from right. 2010 to 2012. All right. So I had that wrong. So anyway, uh, but the fact is that, uh, you know, he's, I like how, uh, uh, Stefanski also gives these guys credit. He says, like, well, Stump, Stump's giving input and would want running backs to go in. You know, Bill Callahan had the big – he designed the running game and the blocking schemes. He does a good job in mentioning his assistants, especially, I think, his offensive assistants. It's not to put the defense down, but I think he wants those guys to feel empowered so that he could be the head coach, too, and not have to right. just micromanage everything. Yeah, yeah, he just sets this tone of he, you know, he's he doesn't sit up there and take victory laps and talk no. about how great his game plan was. And I think he knows it could turn on you quick in this league. He, he, you he's know, I always guy. say some people are an old soul. You know, was he thirty-seven years old? But thirty-seven he, or thirty? I think he's thirty-eight yeah, he now. Sounds like a guy who's been a coaching in the league for a while as a head coach uh, when he talks. So, you know, they're winning. We can say this stuff, but now we also have a little bit of a body of work to look at where do you think the defense is Dan I've got to tell you I I wasn't thrilled going back and re-watching that game I actually rewatched it this morning to finish up my the post I do every week on that yes. and I wasn't I came away feeling worse about the defense I guess than okay. I did in the moment on Sunday I, got, I think I got caught up a little bit in the fact that they, oh they were pitching a shutout and they only gave yeah. up seven points but to be honest they gave up some Big chunks to Duke Johnson. Um, I, I think in better conditions, Deshaun Watson takes advantage of some things. I, I'm, I'm still worried about the defense. And, okay. you know, Ronnie Harrison's fantastic. Miles Garrett is defensive player of the year material. Mm-hmm. Um, there's just not, you know, Denzel did Ward. Did Vernon do anything in that game? I, I didn't notice. What's that? Did Vernon do anything? No, I, I mean, he had the two sacks against the Raiders, but I didn't really notice him a whole lot in this one. Sheldon yeah, was really good. I mean, Sheldon got the two half sacks, yeah. but he was also mm-hmm. really good in this game. Uh, you know, then you go back to the same, you know, same issues with the safeties uh, other than Harrison. Uh, and, I, you know, the linebackers, I don't know. So I think that's just going to be how it is this year. They're, they're going to have to, they're going to have to win with a mediocre to bad defense. Um, and hopefully because they're going to be controlling the ball on offense and, and, and scoring points. So I don't know. I, I just, Dan, I am so grateful. I don't think I've ever been as grateful since I've been, at least since the Browns have come back with the team playing well, because it is in this, you know, the era of COVID and 
strife, political strife and all that stuff. And, you know, the Indians had a pretty good year, but then the, the year ends and now it's like Francisco Lindor is going to be traded. The cast fell off the face of the earth in March. You know, <laughs> they're crawling out now in my attention right. plan with the draft coming up. But to see, you know, and then the Browns fired everybody and started all over again. I was like, oh, great. You know, how's this going to work? You know, two guys, frankly, never did those jobs before at Andrew Berry and Stefanski. You know, that, and then you saw COVID and no preseason. I go, oh, great. Here comes three and five, two and six for the first eight games. That's what I was thinking. And then I said, then they might be better in the second half. But why would they be start quickly? But they have. And, you know, this goes back to where sports is a nice relief or uh, this from the daily stuff. It doesn't make your life any better if you're struggling on your job or whatnot, but for those few hours on Sunday, and then when you get together with friends, like you and I right now, we're just kind of talking about the game. And it's nice to talk about the game and and that. And, you know, you can say, well, the front, and we're back to, well, the front office should have did something with linebackers. I don't know if you saw my notes, but I looked to see what happened with Kirksey and Schobert this year. Did you see that? I... Kirksey has not been good. I, I know no, that. Not good at all. He played three games and got hurt again, as he always does. You know, and I like Kirksey. The last three years he's gotten hurt. Schobert, uh, I was told he wasn't playing well. And usually pro football focus love Schobert. They rated him like 72nd out of 90 wow. some linebackers. You know, in the past he was 10, he was 30. Remember, they're like 40 is 40 to 45 is average. Last year he was a little bit below average, but this year he was like he was like, he's awful. Now, I don't know if that's a scheme thing or what, but I'm sure they're sitting there going, we probably was hoping for a little bit more out of, out of this guy than that. You know, I mean, frankly, I was told by an NFL guy that uh, the Browns are getting more out of Goodson than the, the Jaguars are getting out of Schobert. That's interesting. I mean, look, if, if you adjust your expectations, Goodson has been fine. Yeah, Goodson's actually one of their best signings. Right. I mean, uh, you, you don't want Goodson to be in that spot for five years, where he's, but where he's, you know, for where what you need him to do. And where he's playing right. more snaps than he ever has in his life, too. Yeah. Usually he's the run stopper early on, but he, he and he looks like he does get them organized, you know, uh, that for the middle linebacker spot. You know, to me, Mac Wilson has been a real disappointment. I know he's been hurt, so that could be part of it. Taki Taki, I was talking to an NFL executive, and he said, if you use Taki Taki right, he says you could use them in these kind of running situations and special teams. He goes, if you want more than that, you got the wrong guy. So he's a role player, sort of. Yeah, that's kind of what it feels like. <laughs> yeah. And Mac Wilson is a guy physically you look at that could play every down, but he's got to show he could do it. Yeah, he it's just seems to make a lot of mental errors. You right. Know, he's not maybe, in the right place or he's not. There's probably a reason he went in the fifth round. And remember, Saban – really begged him to stay and because it's not because Saban at Alabama said boy I got to have Mac Wilson to you know to win you know Wilson was going to help him but you know those guys how many you know they get a dozen guys drafted out of Alabama every year you know he's not gonna you know Saban's not gonna worry about if I lost a fifth rounder he's probably got somebody just as good there but he honestly felt that Mac Wilson was not ready for this yeah I was I told go that by a couple people I want to go back to the point you were making about, hey, the Browns are six and three. They're a good football team. Yeah. We're talking about wins. Um, you know, you look at the, a team like the Texans. Mm -hmm. Now they're a little different because they have a quarterback and, and most bad teams don't. But 
I mean, it's got to be miserable to cover and talk about the Texans right now. You don't know who the coach is going to be. You don't right. know who the GM's going to be. Like, we've been through that over. They fired the PR director seemingly for no reason. Amy PR Kyle, director. You don't know who the PR director is going to be. Yeah. I like, knew Amy a little bit when she was here. I mean, I thought she had this stuff to be a, as she was. She was. I mean, one year she was the NFL, NFL PR director of the year. Now, I don't know all the circumstances. I'm just saying. There's crazy stuff going on over the trades that Brian O'Brien made. Um, and it was one of those, they took it, they tried to take a short term view to win now and they, they didn't quite do it. And then the salary cap catches you and you know, you're probably going to get Watson beat up again. Uh, so I don't know. We're here, you know, the Browns fans, I don't get on too much for not spending the salary cap room. I like having it. You know, a lot of Browns fans want to kind of max it out, but because I'm thinking, you know, all of a sudden now you raise Chubb's going to cost you probably more money than you thought. And you did get, you got Hunt signed, which I think, how about that is a not really nice deal. Yeah. For two more years. Six million a year. Yeah. It was really good. And then, you, you know, you got to deal with Baker and, and then there'll be other guys that they'll, they'll want to look at and extend. I don't know if I want to bring Ovin Joby back or not, but he's a free agent. Well, I mean, but, and, I mean, the big one coming up is Denzel Ward. Yes. If they that extend him this offseason, of it's going to be, you know, it's going to be your second highest paid defensive player. Yeah, because the cornerback's position is one that, you know, they, they're all overpaid, they basically say, if they're really, they're pretty good, you know. And so that's that's what they're thinking. And the Browns knew. I wrote a thing a couple of weeks ago about what the Browns aren't telling you, but what they knew, you know, kind of what they think of the team here. I mean, they were six and 10. They were in chaos. You don't sit there and go, let's just blow all the money and go for the Super Bowl. Right. Because in the NFL, if you don't get it right when you do that, you are in trouble for several years. It's not like baseball where, you know, the Yankees or whatever, you just go write more, you know, write more checks, bring in more guys. Well, and that's why I was glad they didn't go like all in on this season of the trade deadline. No. Not that I thought they would, but I, I was glad that they kind of stuck to their guns and, and, and it kind and of it took was, the longer view. Now, now, next year, maybe we're talking differently. Maybe next year we're saying, hey, go big. Go get somebody if there's well, somebody. Get us a linebacker. You might be saying, different. get a real linebacker for next year. I know you don't like linebackers. Because, by the way, analytics don't like linebackers. Right. Just tell me that. They, Philadelphia, where, where Barry was before here, they don't like linebackers either. They don't like linebackers. But go get a linebacker. But right now, uh, it was more important to go get – Conklin to play a right tackle and it was more important to, to get the tight end who I think we'll see more from Hooper in the second half because I do think now with Odell gone then you will see by the way my client Richard Higgins how about that you see that was that the biggest catch, catch, biggest catch the of the game this guy is catching like 75 percent of the balls thrown to him this year that that was the biggest play of the game right there yeah. That third yep. and 18 With was a great throw. If, and if they have to punt there, they might lose that game. Right. And punting and the wind and all the stuff going on. And, you know, we always joke about Kareem's your client and Richard is mine. <laughs> Although I think Matt Millen made his move. I think, I think Matt Millen might be his new agent. I don't know if you listened to the broadcast. Is that right? <laughs> Matt so, Millen, but, but to, to see it. where I'm going with this, though, I think we will see, you know, with Odell out, you see the ball spread around you know, once they could throw it and you'll see Hooper and you'll see Harrison Bryant, by the way, is Njoku on the team? He played 23 snaps on Sunday. And I don't remember a single one. Yeah. 
I'll say this though. One thing I looked it up a lot of, if you look at NFL next gen stats, they track eight man boxes or eight or more men. And it was very high this week. Yeah. That was the conditions. Part of that though, I think is we're going to see that moving forward because there isn't Odell kind of prevented a lot of that stuff. I think. Right. Curious to see how teams play. I mean, why would you not play? Let's put it this way. I mean, if I'm the old Chris Palmer thing, pretend you're, you went in about your own team, pretend you're the coordinator plotting for the other team. He would always say, you know, look at, uh, okay. So, so I am now the defensive coordinator for Philadelphia. I don't know what the weather's going to be this weekend. I don't care. There's going to be so many guys up on that line of scrimmage to try and stop the run. You know, and if, if I get beat by my client, <laughs> Richard Higgins, <laughs> or even they throw some kind of pass to your client, Kareem Hunt or Jarvis, Okay, so be it. But I'm t- I'm not going to go give up 200 yards on the ground to these guys. I'm not. Where well, well, I'm sitting there for 14 hours waiting to get my offense on the field. I'm not going to do that. Well, yeah, because the the 60 yard play they gave up on Sunday was a run, not a pass. So. <laughs> right. So it's like, I mean, you know, I'm not going to do. I want. You know, I don't care whether Chubb gets the ball or not. If they fake it to him, I want four guys to tackle him. Just. Get them to the ground. I mean, I don't want these guys. I mean, you have to treat them as such. So, yes, you're going to see um, those eight-man boxes and everything else. And then we'll see what Baker does. We'll see what Stefanski does. I think Stefanski's got more kind of short and intermediate routes available to these tight ends and things that we've seen so far. Yeah, I think so, too. And you see it a little bit on third downs. When they get to third and short, you almost like assume they're going to get it because he's so mm-hmm. good at scheming up those little quick passes to guys. That's why they're so good in the red zone. Yeah. I mean, they're really good in the red zone. You know, Baker, the last time I looked, which was heading into the uh, Houston game, he had thrown 13 touchdowns, zero interceptions in the red zone, completed like, I don't know, 68% of his passes. That's... By the way, you talk about <laughs> winning games right there touchdowns not field goals no and remember last year he had two he had a couple interceptions and uh his red zone passing was very poor you know yeah now, the previous year in 18 it was very good so um that and boy does that speak to scheme those if you would play those out um you know in 18 they by the way they had kind of a you know, they, they didn't run as much as this, but it was more run-based and that kind of stuff there. Then 19, it was like, who knows what all that was. <laughs> and then this year, you know, you're back to, you know, things are, are very organized. And and that's why they get down in the red zone. Um, it's just such a relief just not to be kicking field goal, field goal, field goal. Yeah, exactly. Um, Cody Parkey wants his due for that. Well, he deserves so it. He should good, get it. Good for Cody. Uh, all right, so Philadelphia coming up. I, I'm actually kind of excited about this game. They have a great pass rush. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I want to see how Baker deals with that. That's kind of his his nemesis right there. So I want to see, right. and see how the, he deals with that against a team that they're supposed to beat. And Carson Wentz, you know, he's still capable. He struggled, but he's still capable of having good games. Uh, but Wentz, by the way, is another example of when your young quarterback starts getting beat up. Um, he's had a lot of, you know, significant injuries. Yeah. And, you know, I was talking to one guy. I, have to, I haven't watched the Eagles. So, uh, except that one half of I think it was a Monday night game. He got hot in that game. It was a game where he had a big second half, uh, Wednesday. But I was talking to a guy. He goes, This guy physically is just taking a pounding. 
and it shows. He's not the same guy. Yeah, I'm gonna. I'm gonna t- I've seen him a, a couple times. Uh, I saw that Thursday night game. There was another game I watched. It might have been that Monday night game. Um, but I'm, I'm gonna sit down and watch their game against the Giants here at some point and kind of see see where he's at because it hasn't been great for him. All right, Terry. I think that's. Uh, I think that's everything. We just talked about the Browns for like 40 minutes. Really didn't talk that much about Baker. How about no. that? <laughs> and that's okay because uh, first of all, there's nothing negative, so that's good. You know, that that's a big thing. He didn't turn it over. Remember, in that games like that, you can just they all they really don't want the quarterback to lose it. Yeah. You know, when you have right. a good running attack, I, I guess my thing is I don't particularly care how the Browns win. <laughs> I don't. I really don't. I mean, if it's running the ball forty times as opposed to throwing it forty times. You know, maybe watching 40 passes is more fun than watching 40 runs, but I really like watching, you know, Browns 10, Houston 7, or whatever the score you want to make it be. I like watching where where it says Cleveland 1. <laughs> I know <laughs> unless, unless you had three, but, you know, I'm not, I also don't bet on games. And I don't I play was gonna say, unless football. you had Browns minus three and a half, you enjoyed yeah. that. Story. I don't bet on it, and I don't play fantasy football. I want Baker or somebody to get their numbers. <laughs> All right, Terry. Uh, everybody check out Football Insider. Uh, go to cleveland.com slash Browns. Click on the blue banner at the top of the page. And, of course, check out all of Terry's great work at cleveland.com slash Browns while you're there. Uh, and give him a follow on Twitter. Just at Terry Pluto, right? You got it. There it's about go. as boring as I am. <laughs> Easy to find. All right, Terry. Thanks for the time. Take care, Dan.